I'm going to start right away. Um, we'll just do a quick recap from a quick recap from last week, what we studied last week. Um, so yeah, let, let me ask them through it as a question. Who wants to remind us what we studied last week? Anyone, what we studied last week? Just um, quickly, what we studied last week. Faith, should I call you? Do you want to help us what we studied last week? About the revelation of Jesus. Faith, are you there? Ah, Faith, you know there. Ah, okay. Do you want to help us? What did we look at last week? Um, last week we talked about Jesus as the door and the good shepherd. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just so thought. So um we just um Jesus as the door. Um we learned wait, am I supposed to say what the whole thing we learned or no, no, just no, no. Just okay, for- <laughs> okay, because I've already said going. All right. Okay. So just in summary, just the door as the door and the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um, as the door, he actually. Sorry, yeah, go on. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I can go on. Yeah. Okay. 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 So just as the do- um, as a good shepherd, we learned um, how a good shepherd lays down his life for his own sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also learned the implication of that. Um, we, we no longer, we actually do not own ourselves. We're adapted to Jesus. Yeah. Um, as a Christian, we have to like recognize um, um, Jesus as our Lord more uh, very important like yeah. it's, it's something we ignore as christians and know um, then as the door um we learned about witnesses which we hope we get a full teaching on it well <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah we, we learned about there being witnesses on earth uh, and then witnesses in heaven the one in heaven is the father the word the spirit the one on earth mm-hmm. the spirit word of god spirit is common and you know they all have one word and you see so just in summary that <laughs> okay all right thank you thank you for that reminder um so what we're going to do today like i said uh, okay if you're just joining us we started a uh this is the fourth week i believe fourth or fifth week now um series on the revelation of jesus so things that jesus christ said about himself and um what what do they mean to us right now and again, let me just go over them quickly. We, we've seen the fact that Jesus, so what, what was pre- pretty much called the I am statements of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the way, truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am, what's the last one? Um, there's the last one. I am, well, there's, there's the last one. I don't remember it right now. But so Jesus Christ, mention those, reveal those things about himself. So what we are doing in this series or what we have been doing in this series so far is to explore the meaning of these statements and to see how they are applied to us as Christians, all right? 
So today we are going to do a, a combined, well, I was going to say combined service, but a combined teaching. We're going to look at the last three statements that we haven't looked at that Jesus Christ made about himself. And that is the fact that um, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, truth, and the life. And then I am the true vine. All right? Now, there's something peculiar about these three um, statements that Jesus Christ made. And it's the fact that they all relate to life. And when we study them, you, you will see what I mean, that everything Jesus Christ was saying in these three statements were attributed to life. And as a matter of fact, every state, all the I am statements, in fact, sorry, all, all the, the whole book of John, as it were, um, is referred to as the book of life because that is the book that expressly reveals Jesus Christ as our life, all right? And so if you look at the statements that just Jesus Christ made, one way or the other, they implied that Jesus Christ is our life. So the life, um, the life message or the message of life is a constant theme all through the book of John. Praise God. So what we, we themed today's um, Bible discussion is the author of life. All right? The author of life. And let me state for the record that it's, it will be really um, impossible... Sorry, just, I'm just trying to say something right. It would be really impossible to, to explain all this in just one, um, in just one Bible study. It's, it's practically impossible. So I'm not attempting, I'm not, I'm not saying that everything we'll study here will be all that there is to study about, um, about this um, topic. All right, so but I just want to lay the foundation and show that we are, we are diligent enough to um, explore the rest of the study by ourselves. All right, so let us start with resurrection and the life. John chapter 11, verse 21. John chapter 11, verse 21 to, 20, to 27. The book of John, the gospel of John chapter 11, verse 21, sorry, verse, yeah, verse 21 to 27. Okay, um, someone should please read for us if you are there. Please read for us John chapter 10, verse 11 to 27. Anyone there? John chapter 11. John 11, 21 to 27. All right. Um, it's a new international version. Okay, okay. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha mm -hmm. answered, I know he will rise again in the mm -hmm. resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, just as a background, this is a very popular story. Um, when Lazarus died, and the Bible explains so that Lazarus was loved by Jesus, so Lazarus had died, and um, Jesus didn't come immediately. He delayed 
um, so much that it was, by the time he arrived, it was already four days um, after Lazarus' death. And when Jesus Christ came, of course, Mary and Martha were very close to Jesus. Uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were all were close to Jesus as, as siblings. And Martha said to Jesus that, if I first of before Martha spoke, the, uh, the people around that saw Jesus Christ said, and this man that killed the blind, this man that did this miracle, he did that miracle, couldn't he have stopped Lazarus from dying? Meaning it was easier, by the estimation, it was easier to stop a dead, stop a man from dying than to raise a man from the dead. And that, that's a very logical calculation, but 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 that does not what happened. So they said, couldn't he have stopped this man um, from dying? And then Martha came out and they, Martha said to Jesus, with all the emotion, with all the love she had for her brother and everything she said to Jesus, Master, if you were here, I am so certain my brother would not have died. You know, I'm, I'm quite sure that Martha could say this confidently because Martha had seen Jesus perform other miracles. Martha had seen Jesus heal other sick people. Martha had seen Jesus cast out demons. Martha had seen Jesus um, probably seen or heard Jesus turn water to wine. And, and she knew about the power of Jesus Christ. So she said, with knowing all I know about Jesus, if you were here, Jesus, you, my, my brother would not have died. And then let us see Jesus' response. And so Jesus said in verse 23 that your brother would rise again. Now, this is somebody that was already dead. And Jesus is saying that your brother would rise again. Let me repeat again that it was, logically speaking, it was easier to heal Lazarus than it was to raise Lazarus from the dead. Okay? Um, but even before we continue, I want to backtrack a bit to when, when Jesus Christ got the information that Lazarus was sick. Um, let me just read this quickly. Verse, uh, verse, verse 14. He, then Jesus, Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there. So the intent that you may believe. Right, he says, nevertheless, let us go. And if you read verse 4, he says that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified therein. Meaning Jesus Christ knew that this sickness was not going to, was not unto death. So the question is, if it was not unto death, why did why did Lazarus die? I mean, if it was not unto death, Lazarus died. So what, what was Jesus Christ saying? What Jesus Christ was saying is that this sickness will not end up in death. And like we all know, the sickness didn't end in death. Yes, Lazarus died, but that was not the end of the story. Um, Lazarus had to. Lazarus still res, re, resurrected, um, and it, it ended in his in him being raised from the dead. All right, and back to where we're saying, um, Jesus told Martha that your brother will still rise again. Now, Martha, being studious and um, being knowing the word of God, Martha said, "Oh yes, I'm very sure that he's going to rise up on the last day." Now, this is where I want our conversation to actually start from. So you see, in the in those days, there were two broad um, school of thought, all right? And this school of thought had their own leadership or had their own um, leaders at the helm of that school of thought. So we had the Pharisees on one hand, and we had the Sadducees. And this, the Pharisees and Sadducees represented two school of thoughts. Now, the Pharisees believed in spirits, they believed in angels, and they believed in the resurrection from the dead. So there are a group of people who believed in spirits, right? Who believed that, um, yes, the spirit, spirit existed in, or exist in the world 
um, who believe that um, angels exist and who believe that one day we would all rise, we will all be raised from the dead. Okay. Now, the second school of thought, who the, which the, the Sadducees represented, they did not believe in any of these. The Sadducees didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. They believed that all these things were just a figment of, their, of human's imagination. They believed that life ended here on earth, that after life on earth, there was nothing else again to look forward to. All right? So these were the two broad school of thought. So, of course, Mata believed uh, uh, to, to belong to the school of thought that um, there will be resurrection from the dead and that um, there were spirits, there were angels and all of that, okay? So Martha said to Jesus that just in case you, just in case, just for you to know, I am actually aware that there will be a resurrection on the last day. So if that's the resurrection you are talking about, of course, I know he will, my brother will rise up again on the last day. Now, Jesus' response brings a revelation to us about, um, about that event. Now, in verse 25, Jesus now said unto her that I am the resurrection. So let's take it back again to verse 24. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So Martha had post postponed anything called re resurrection. Martha had relegated it to, a, to the last day, relegated it as an event that was going to happen on the last day. But Jesus Christ replied to her and said, I am the resurrection and the life, meaning what you expect as an event on the last day is a personality, and I am that personality. So Jesus Christ was telling Martha that you are expecting the possibility of resurrection to happen on a particular day. What you don't know is that the, that possibility is, what was only, is only in existence because of me, and I am that possibility. So the resurrection and the uh, resurrection that Martha was looking forward to um, to to Lazarus experiencing on the last day, that resurrection was only possible because of the personality, Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus Christ was saying to Martha is that I have fast-tracked that event, right, into, into today, and I because I am that personality. It is very similar to what Jesus Christ um, said to the man by the by the um by the water, the man who was waiting for the angel to stay the water, and Jesus Christ asked him, do you want to be healed? Or do you want to be, yeah, do you want to be healed? Do you want to walk? And the man went on to tell Jesus Christ his, his life history and his experience. But what the man didn't know was that the person that supplied the healing power for that water that killed people, that person was standing right in front of him. So the, the, the day that he was waiting for, the, the, you know, the man was waiting for the water to be stirred on a particular day, on a particular, in a particular season. What he did not know is that that particular season was fast-tracked into a, a personality, and that is Jesus Christ. Okay? Does, does that make sense? So Jesus Christ was saying the same thing to Martha, that, um, yes, there's a resurrection on the last day, but that resurrection has a personality. And I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Praise God. All right, so I want us to investigate this further and see what this means um, for us, okay. So, but but before we continue, now now remember that Jesus Christ. So here, speaking to Martha, Jesus said, um, "I am the resurrection and I am the, I am the life." What he now, now I want us to compare this with another scripture, John chapter ten, verse ten. Um, we, we read that I think last week or two weeks ago. 
um, where Jesus, the, the Bible says, just by speaking about himself, says, the thief comes not comes only to kill, and to steal, and to destroy. And he says that, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Meaning that the one of the the core purposes of the thief is is threefold. His ministry is threefold: to kill, steal, and destroy. But one of the primary reasons why Jesus Christ came is so that we would have life and have it abundantly. Okay, so part of the purpose of Jesus is to supply an abundance of life. So what? Jesus was telling Martha is that I am the resurrection and I am the life, meaning there's an endless supply of life. You know, um, comp for instance, let me give an example. If I have $1 million in my account right now and somebody comes to me to say, oh, Rich, I want money, and I transfer to the person $200,000, what I'll have left in my account is $800,000, right? That The fact that the money can deplete already shows that I am not the source of the money. Because once you, once um, someone is a source of a thing, that the thing he supplies can never run dry. So Jesus Christ was saying that, I am so full of life that no matter how much life is required for me, I will never deplete in my supply. Okay? Um, and we're going to look at that further down. So I want us to just have that in mind. In mind. Now, what does resurrection and the life mean for us? What, what, what does resurrection mean for us? Now, there are two, broadly speaking now, there are two applications of, of this. And I want to start with, like, I, like I, I've said in previous Bible study, there's usually the eternal application of, of um, that revelation. And then there's also the present day application or experience of that revelation. All right. So I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16 to 21. 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 15. Um, anyone can read for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16 to 23. You can read for us if you are there, please. 1 Corinthians 15, 16. Yeah. That would mean that Christ has not been raised up either. And if, and if Christ is not alive, you are still lost in your sins and your faith is fantasy. We can barely hear you, Faith. If the dead aren't raised up, and that would mean that Christ has not been raised up either. And if Christ is not alive, you are still lost in your sins and your faith is a fantasy. It would also mean that those believers in Christ who have passed away have simply perished. If the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this life on earth, we deserve to be pitied more than all others. But the truth is, Christ is risen from the dead as the first fruit of the great resurrection harvest of all those who have died. For since death came through a man, Adam, it is fitting that the resurrection of the dead has also come through a man, Christ, 22. Even as all who are in Adam die, so all who are in Christ will be made alive. But each one in his proper order, Christ the first fruits, then those who belong to Christ in his presence. So what? Yeah, 23, that's fine. That's fine. All right, thank you. So this verse clearly, and I, I like the translation you just read from, because it clearly shows us that there is resurrection from the dead. And Paul was, was laying out an argument and he said, 
you know, first of all, just take, let's take it back again. Remember I said that there are some people who believe that there's no resurrection from the dead, right? Um, and um, they don't believe it, they don't believe in angels, they don't believe in spirits, all right? And uh, there's a school of thought like that. And so Paul was laying out a logical argument here to the believers in, in Corinth. And he said that if you if you people claim that there is no resurrection from the dead, that means Christ died for nothing. And if Christ died for nothing, then our preaching to you is in vain. And then you believe Christ for nothing. And in, in fact, Paul said that if the only hope we have is in this life, then we are supposed to be pitied and pitied more, pitied more than all men. King James says we are of all men most miserable. All right. That means there is resurrection from the dead. And resurrection from the dead was exemplified to us through Jesus Christ. What that means is that after being Christians, right, on the last day when Christ comes, whether we are we are dead or alive when Christ comes, we will all be raised again to life. So Paul was laying, Paul was was proving that this is a possibility. And so this is where the first, first um, implication of the resurrection of the dead that I want to show us today, that Christ died and he resurrected, meaning he set a pattern for us so that everybody that comes into Christ will on the last day resurrect, just like um, uh, Martha was, was speaking about in John chapter 11. So there is resurrection on the last day and this gives us a lot of hope. So we know that people who, we that were dead in Christ, or sorry, we, people who died in Christ, and um, they are not just dead. That's not just the end of their life. They are going to be raised up again to reign with Christ on the last day. All right. So this is the first, and this, and let me just state again that the the believing in the resurrection from the dead is one of the tenets of our faith. It's one of the things that we hold on to as believers. It's one of the things that we believe in strongly as believers um, in Christ Jesus. We believe that one day when we leave this earth, right, we're going to be raised again with Christ um, together with him. Praise Jesus. So that's the first implication of the resurrection from the dead. Now, that, so this is the eternal implication. This is what it means eternally that we'll be raised together with Christ, okay, on the last day. Now, what does it mean for us right now on earth? What does the, you know, Joshua said, I am the resurrection and the life. What is the implication of this resurrection to us right now? So to see that, let's look at, Excuse me, let's look at Ephesians chapter chapter 2, verse 4 to 7. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 7. If you are there, you can please read for us. Oh, um, okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 7, yeah? God still loved us with so much great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us with the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now seated as one with Christ. Seven, throughout mm -hmm. the coming ages, we will be visible. We will be the visible display of infinite, limitless riches of His grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please, please, what translation is that? Passion. Passion translation, right? I was already beginning to feel intimidated by the depth of it. Okay, so this is this is. Perfect. You put it perfectly. And I want to I want to read from the King James um, step by step. I just want to go straight to verse 5. It says, 
um, even when we were dead in our sins, um, had had quickened us together with Christ. Okay, so it says that we're quickened, we made our life together with Christ. It now says, by grace are you saved. Verse 6, my emphasis says, and had raised us up together. So this is the aspect of resurrection we see that applies to us right now. That though we were dead in our sins, for the fact that we were, the fact that we are Christians means that a resurrection had to occur because we were dead, but now we are alive. Okay, remember when when the prodigal son came back, one, the father said, my son was lost, now he's found. He said that he was dead, but now he's alive. Meaning when we're lost in the world, we are considered dead. That means if God was going to take a census of the people that belong to him, we did not count among the census. Just the same way, um, um, if they're going to take a census of people in your in your village right now, they will not count the dead people because they are not they, are, they don't qualify to be counted. It is the same way that when we're lost in sin, we're not qualified to be counted among the people of God. So we're dead. But the Bible now says that we have been made alive, and it says He had raised us up together. So that that process of us being raised up is the resurrection. And this is one of the implications of the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, meaning that what we experience when we come to Christ Jesus is a resurrection from death into life, okay? And it says, him has he raised up. But it doesn't just stop there. It's beautiful that we are resurrected, but we need to now know what it, what does it mean to be resurrected? And when we proceed in verse six, it says, we, we were, we had, sorry, let me take that again. And had raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only were we, not only were we resurrected, but we were resurrected together with Christ Jesus. And the implication of that is that just as Christ was resurrected and he ascended and sat on the right hand of the Father, so also together in Christ have we been resurrected and do we sit together um, at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. What this really means is that the, the resurrection is a symbol of our authority. That's where I'm headed to. That the fact that we are resurrected, we didn't just, Christ didn't just resurrect. He resurrected and he ascended on high. It is in the same way also by virtue of, the, of him being resurrection and the, life, and the life and by virtue of our participation in Christ Jesus, we also have now ascended to that realm of authority also. So we share authority, we share the authority in Christ Jesus, okay? And this is important to know because for resurrection to happen by, by the very definition, resurrection means that someone, there was death at some point meaning that death occurred at, at some point. And for, for someone to, to be resurrected from the dead means that the person had to conquer the hold of death and then to come back to life, meaning there was already a conquest and there was already victory. And based on that victory, we can now stand on the authority that we have in Christ Jesus. So resurrection has the implication of our authority in Christ Jesus. So yes, on the last day we would, rise again, um, we'll rise up to be with Christ when we all die. But right now, what that means is that we have been raised with Christ and based on that revelation, we have authority, we, we can exercise authority. There's something I want to show us again in still that same verse six. It says that, and had raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible says that um, we'll be seated far 
um, there's a passage in the Bible that says far above principalities and power. That's, that's talking about Jesus Christ in um, Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 20 to 22. It talks about the fact that we are seated, that like Christ, right, is seated far above principalities and power. Now, this verse of scripture we just read in Ephesians chapter 2 lets us know that we are seated together in heavenly places with Christ, meaning we are seated together far above principalities and power. Now, in the spirit realm, the extent of your authority is dependent on the height of your oppression. The extent of your authority is dependent on the height of your oppression. So the higher you are in, in the spirit realm, the more authority can you exercise, the more authority you can exercise, the more authority you can, um, you can demonstrate. So when the Bible says that Christ is seated far above principalities and power, it says above everything that can be named both in this age and the age to come, what that means is that the office of the Christ is exalted above every office in the realm of the spirit, both, uh, both in the realm of spirit and even the natural. It says above all the names that can be named uh, in heaven, on, on the earth and beneath the earth, meaning Jesus Christ, right, is the, is the peak of all authority. Now, bring it to this verse where we read. It says that we are seated together, we'll be raised, raised to life with him, and now seated together with him. What that means is that the position from which we exercise authority is the highest position that there ever is in the realm of the spirit. And this should give us confidence to know that we are not just um, exercising authority by fluke. No, no, there's no, as, as stubborn as the enemy is, as old as the devil is, he's no match for our authority, not because we in ourselves we are wiser or in ourselves we are stronger, but because we are now, we've now been coupled together with Christ and we have been given the privilege to exercise authority from the heights that Christ himself, himself will exercise authority. And that is very powerful, we need to know. So when Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection, you need to know that not, it is impossible for resurrection to happen without him. And what that means for us now is that we are seated in that realm of authority. Praise Jesus. So whatever needs resurrecting, it could, it could be a physical human being that is dead that needs to be brought back to life, or it could be that your business is your business is dead and needs resurrecting, or it could be that um, your your prayer life, as it were, needs resurrecting, or your any aspect of your life, just think about it, needs resurrecting. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and he is the life. Praise Jesus. So I just wanted to show that um, um, briefly that life emanates from Jesus Christ. Um, he, anything that deals with resurrection, is it flows from Jesus Christ. It flows from Jesus Christ, all right? Okay, so uh, we still have a long way to go, so I'm going to stop there. But let me just read one more verse of scripture, or rather, let me just quote it. It's in the book of Psalms 36, verse 9. The Bible says that with thee is the fountain of life. It now says in thy light we, we see light. That is Psalms 36, verse 9. When it says with thee is the fountain of life, what that means is that, so a fountain means source. A fountain is where the is is where the where the water comes from. Okay, and that's what the Bible is saying concerning Christ Jesus that He with Him is the fountain of life. He is the fountain of life. If anybody will ever experience life, right, it will be because the person came in contact with Jesus. If anybody will ever experience a supply of spiritual vitality, then it will be because the person came in contact with Jesus. And outside Jesus, there is absolutely no life, all right? And this is the one, again, let me go back to the assurance we have as believers. The only, you know, the assurance we have that we will go to heaven is that we have Jesus Christ now. 
we are not going to heaven. We're not trying to be sure if we're we going to make heaven or not. You know, when I was growing up as a Christian, um, let's say back in secondary school, one of the things that I I somehow did not have assurance of was whether I'll make heaven or not or not. And it was almost like I had to be careful because today I can just I can just do something now that if the trumpet sound, that's the end. I will not even make heaven. Or if I just do something now, I will not. I will have to start from the beginning again, and then start start getting myself back into God and start working with God. My pretty much my security was not firm. I didn't have any security as to whether I'll make heaven or not. But now the scripture reveals to us the reason why we will be raised up on the last day is because. Already that resurrection and the life of the last day, we have him living in our hearts today. And if anybody does not have this assurance of the resurrection and the life in his heart today, then there is no guarantee of him being him or her being raised up on the last day. Okay. So the guarantee that will be raised up on the last day is that that resurrection and the life he lives in us currently today. So that on the last day, we know already that we will raise up the same way Jesus Christ the same way grave could not hold him down, he had to rise up on the third day because he had, he himself was life. It was just, it was in, the Bible says in the book of Acts that it was impossible for the grave to hold him down. Meaning it, the same way it is impossible, the same way it is impossible for paper to trap fire because fire will consume the paper. Or the same way it is impossible for, for water to come in contact with a material and the material will not be wet. It is the same way it is impossible. It was impossible for death to trap Jesus down because he is the resurrection and the life. And it, be, it is for that same reason that on the last day we will rise again because we have the resurrection and the life living inside of us. All right. So I hope that that's clear enough. So Jesus's resurrection and the life took brought two main um, applications. Two main implications is that on the last day we will rise again. And currently we walk in authority because we have been raised to operate from the same, um, we'll be raised to share in the authority that Christ operates by. Praise Jesus. All right, so let's go to the next statement that Jesus Christ made. And this is found in John chapter 14. Um, just a chapter, sorry, like three chapters after where we read. John chapter 14, verse 1. From verse, John chapter 14, verse 1 to 7. All right, Sonsh, please read for us. John chapter 14, verse 1 to 7. John 14, don't mm -hmm. worry about that of your fear, for you have believed in God. Now trust and believe in me also. My Father's house has many dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I would have told you plainly, because I go to prepare a place for you to rest. And when everything is ready, I'll come back and take you myself so that you will be where I am and you already know the way to the place where I'm going verse 5 Thomas said to him master we do not know where you're going so how could we know the way there 6 Jesus explained I am the way I am the truth and the life no one comes next to the father except true union with me to know me is to know my father too 7 and from now on, you will realize that you have seen him and experienced him. Amen. Thank you. Um, thank you, Faith. So Jesus Christ was about living, you know, Jesus Christ says that his time on the earth had come, um, had come to an end, or was gradually come to an end. And he knew that 
um, very soon he was going to be crucified and taken, handed over to the handed over to the Jews, and and you know um, what we call the Passion of the Christ was going to begin. Now he began to prepare his disciples for for that time, right? And then he begins to say something very interesting in verse in chapter one, beginning from verse one. He says, "Oh, don't let don't be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me." He now says that in my Father's house or in my Father's mansion there are many. Um, King James Version says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And I need to explain. Okay, let me finish the verse. He says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So for a long while, a lot of people have said that this verse referred to, um, to heaven as a geographic location, meaning that God, Jesus Christ was saying, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for me, so for you rather, so that you can also now come to be with me in heaven. But if you look at this scripture closely, you will see that that was not what Jesus Christ was referring to. Jesus Christ wasn't referring to preparing a place in heaven. Of course, the consequence of what Jesus Christ did meant we had access to heaven. But in this context, Jesus Christ wasn't referring to going to heaven as a geographic location to prepare a place. I mean, I, I know again that a lot of people have used this verse to say that, oh, there are mansions in heaven, which I don't doubt, but that's not the reason why they are... I mean, this is not the verse that tells us there are mansions in heaven. This is not the verse that explains the mansion or the houses or the dwelling places in heaven. This verse actually talks about the work of Christ um, for us. And let me just explain that before we move, we don't move further down. What Jesus Christ was saying basically is that in my father's, when, when he says my father's house, the Greek word there refers to an abode, refers to a place of residence. So Jesus Christ was saying that where my father resides, there are many rooms. There are many spots. In fact, that's what one of the words that the Greek, the Greek language translates as houses or as mansions. There are many spots. There are many allocations. He now says that I am going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you will also be with me. So the question is, question you would ask is, where is Jesus? Jesus Christ was saying that where I am currently, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can come and join me um, in that place. So a good question to ask is, where is Jesus? And Jesus Christ explained this even in this same scripture that I am I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus Christ explained in several scriptures even before now that he, he lives in the Father and the Father lives in him, all right? And so the place that Jesus was going to prepare for us was the Father himself. So he says, I'm going to prepare a place in the Father so that where I am in the Father, you also can come and be with me also. What that meant was that Jesus Christ was going to secure a spot in the Father, so that we also could legitimately belong in the Father, just as He belonged in the Father, and this was this is talking about our spiritual, our spiritual identity in God, our spiritual spiritual location and access in Christ, in God, in God in Christ, and that is because of this that the uh, Scripture says that for our lives are hid in Christ and Christ in God, because Christ has now gone to has now gone and prepared a place for us in God. And so that now we are in Christ and Christ is in God. So we are all locked up in the same location in the Father. Praise God. I hope that that's clear enough. So this verse wasn't referring to God. It wasn't referring to Jesus Christ going to prepare a place for us in heaven. Now, of course, the implication of the work he did granted us access to heaven and guaranteed that we would make heaven and we'll go to heaven. But this place wasn't talking about um, Jesus Christ going to prepare buildings, you know, for us in, in heaven. All right. So I hope that's clear enough. Now, the verse of emphasis is verse 6. 
Okay, so let me just read verse, from verse 5. Thomas said to Jesus, um, Lord, we, we know not where you are. We don't know where you are going to, basically. How can you now say that we know the way? And then verse, um, verse 6, Jesus Christ answered and said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He says, no one can come to the Father except by me. So Jesus Christ was placing an emphasis on, on access to the Father or contacting the Father. And with respect to contacting the Father, Jesus Christ reveals to us that there are three dimensions that you must come in contact with for you to access the Father. There are three dimensions that you must experience for you to, access, for you to be in contact with the Father. And Jesus Christ said that those three dimensions, I represent those three dimensions. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So there's the dimension of the way, there's the dimension of the truth, there's the dimension of the life. And Jesus Christ was saying that if you are going to contact the Father, you must, you must experience these three dimensions. And it so happens that these three dimensions are embodied in me. I am the personality that represents these three dimensions. All right? So what does I, I just feel led in my spirit again? Pardon me, I feel led in my spirit to, to go back to go back verse um verse three to verse six again and, and just explain some things. He says, I, I go to prepare, I go and prepare a place for you. He now says, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So somebody was going to ask that if it's not referring to heaven, so why did Jesus Christ say, I will come again? Because the second coming of Christ would typically re represent us making heaven, okay? Now, let me explain what that. Jesus Christ says, I go to prepare a place for you. He says, I will come again. Now, fast forward to, you know, if you go to, verse, to chapter 16, Jesus Christ was talking about the Holy Spirit, right? And time will not permit us right now to go in depth into that study. But Jesus Christ, talking about the Holy Spirit, said that I will come again. And in that context, he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus Christ says the world, Jesus Christ was saying that I'm living, okay? But the world, the world will not see me, but you will see me. Because um, I, I am with you and will continue to be with you and, and on and on. So the question is, how would Jesus Christ live and then yet the disciples will see him and the world will not see him? The answer to that is that Jesus Christ will appear or will be represented fully in the person of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus Christ said here in verse 4, sorry, in verse 3, that I will come again and, and receive you unto myself so that where I am you may be also, this place was referring to the work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ was saying, in essence, that the Holy Spirit will come, meaning when the Holy Spirit comes, he will represent everything that I am, and in that form, I will be with you, and then, um, so that where I am, you will always be with me. All right, I hope that is clear enough. Please, if you have questions after this, um, feel free to ask, but I just, this is not just the curve of the study, so I want to go over that quickly. And then verse 14, verse 4, and where I go, um, you know, and the way to that place, you also know. And then Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going to. How can we know the way? And Jesus Christ replied by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except by me. I need to say this very importantly, um, that Jesus Christ is the only legitimate access and contact point to the Father. You know, there's a, there's a new age belief, right, especially in the Western world, that um, there are so many ways to come to Jesus. And a popular person 
popular media person has propagated this ideology that there are so many ways to come to come to the father that your way might be different from my way that what what's important is that you get you access the father now this is a very dangerous deception and i'm going to tell you why it's a very dangerous deception because see the way the realm of the spirit operates is that you have to so the realm of the spirit is very vast and there are several access points into the realm of the spirit, okay? You can access the realm of spirit through Jesus Christ. You can access the realm of spirit through demonic spirits. And there are, in fact, there are several demonic spirits that are, are willing to help you if you are ready to pay the sacrifice. So claiming that there are several ways to God is impossible because every access has a unique destination. There's, it's a one-way one road, meaning that if you go through this path, you can only arrive at one location. If you go through a path, you cannot arrive at another location. Meaning every, every destination has a predetermined access to it. And when you want to come to the Father, the only legal and legitimate access to the Father is that you come through Jesus Christ. If anybody wants to come to the Father, he must come through Jesus. And anybody that comes through Jesus, whether, in fact, even if you are blindfolded, there's a 100% guarantee that you end up with the Father. You, There's no other place you end up if you go through Jesus Christ. You will not end up, you know, sometimes people, people, and, and this, this is the truth, people have asked me, you know, I've, I've had a conversation, I've, I've taught people about being baptized in the Holy Ghost, and one of the very often questions people ask, frequent questions people ask is that, how am I sure that when I pray, it is the Holy Spirit that will get, not another spirit? And the answer to this question is the same Thing that Jesus Christ is saying here. The answer to that question is when you pray to the Father, the, it is the Father that gives you the Holy Spirit. The Father does not give you any other spirit because when you come to the Father, there's no other possibility of another spirit. Every destination has only one access point and every destination only has one thing he's offering or it is offering in the realm of the Spirit. So when somebody prays for the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus Christ, the only spirit that the Father can give that person is the Holy Spirit. The Father cannot give another spirit because that in his domain, no other spirit is recognized. It is only the Holy Spirit. It is the same way that when you come to Jesus Christ, there is no other personality that is recognized as a destination except the Father. So we have this assurance that when we go to Jesus, no matter what it looks like or no matter what happens, we would access the Father. So I just wanted to emphasize on that, all right? Now back to what I was saying that at, um, contacting the Father requires that you experience three realities. That you experience reality of the way, the truth, and the life. And I just want to shed some light on these three realities very quickly. Oh, wow. It's almost eight. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, Let, let's proceed. So, Jesus Christ said, I am the way. The way here refers to access. And I, I just started explaining a bit of it that whenever you are coming to God... Um, if anybody would come to God, if anybody would access the realm of the spirit in general, you must, um, if anybody would contact the realm of the spirit, rather, you must have an access point, just like a door, right? The door leads you into a room. So Jesus Christ was saying that I am the access point into the, into the reality of the Father. Let me say again that there are several realities in the realm of the spirit, and there are several spirits that, there are several personalities and several, several spirits that grant access to those other kind of realities. However, now when it comes to accessing the Father, Jesus is the only legitimate access point. Jesus is the only way that we can access the Father. 
And um, when we come to Jesus Christ, like I said earlier, we're guaranteed of access to the Father. So that's the first thing. When Jesus Christ said, I am the way, what he was talking about was a reality we can experience spiritually that gives us access to the Father. Have you ever gone to pray and when you just started praying, you all of a sudden you just started feeling the love of God. You started feeling the, the peace of God. You started feeling the, you just felt like God was very close. The reason why you could feel that way is because Jesus created an access for you to the Father. You know, and that's why the, Jesus Christ coming to the earth was so important because before Jesus Christ came and died for, um, for us, it was impossible for the, for a normal person to access the Father. There are only, um, broadly speaking, four categories of people that could that could fellowship or that could talk to God and God to, could talk to them. Those are the kings, the prophets, the priests, and the judges. All right. And so outside this set of people, no other person could really have confidence in the Father. In fact, even the priest had to do so with so much care and with so much caution. But now that Jesus Christ has come, every one of us can access the Father. And when we say the Father here, we're not just referring only to his personality, but we're referring to everything that his personality provides. If it's his love, if it's his peace, if it's his kindness, if it's his mercy, every single thing that the that the that the personality of the Father provides to us, the Bible says that Jesus is our only access point to the Father. So every time we go to pray and we experience the peace of God, every time we go to pray and we experience, we see light, we get direction from the Father. That is because that is only possible because Jesus is our access point. All right. So I have to move very quickly now. Number two is that. He's the truth. Now, when, when we say truth in the word of God, we're not referring to wrong and right. All right. Yes, of course, Jesus Christ represents everything that is correct. But that is the tr truth is deeper than just what is right and what is wrong. When we say truth in the word of God, truth refers to an experience and it re refers to a reality. Okay. And the reality that is furnished by Jesus Christ is what is referred to as truth. Um, when you say a lie, okay, a lie is a reality that is furnished by another spirit. It's a reality that is furnished by a devil. That's why the Bible says that the, the devil the, um, the devil is the father of lies, okay? And when he lies, he speaks his native language, meaning he furnishes a reality. He convinces people of a reality that is not, that doesn't have its origin in Christ. So when Jesus Christ said he is the truth, Jesus Christ is saying that he is the reality. I need to explain this. Whenever you come to God, you need to, you know, Jesus Christ, um, the book of Hebrews says that whoever comes to God must know that he is and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Meaning when you come to God, you must be furnished with the revelation of a reality about God. And that reality about God is what helps you to encounter God. Okay. Now the Bible is saying that Jesus Christ is that reality. And Jesus Christ is the source of every reality that pertains to Christ, pertains to God. So when we come to God, so we have the access, right? We have the, just like we have opened the door, okay? We've opened the door and we've entered the room. Great, we have access now to the Father, to where to, do, to where the Father dwells, to the domain of the Father. But the next thing we now need, need is, we need a reality that helps us to engage the Father. We need the consciousness of the identity of this person so that we can adequately engage him. And knowledge in the realm of the Spirit is, is conveyed as a reality. So what happens when the Bible says that those who come to God must know that he exists? It's a, it's, it's like, it's a consciousness that guides your operation and your, your engagement with that person. 
And that is the reality that Jesus Christ supplies to us. So when he said, I am the truth, meaning I am the reality that you need to have to encounter the Father, okay? So when someone enters the room, for instance, he has access through the door, but to talk to the person that is inside the room, he needs to know things about the person. He needs to be aware, a spiritual awareness. That is what a reality is, a spiritual awareness, okay? So the person needs to be aware spiritually of that person in the room, all right? So Jesus Christ saying that I am, I am that reality. And I wrote something here that um, Jesus is the framework for every possibility that the believer has access to. So every possibility, think about any possibility you have access to. Think about um, inspiration. Think about revelation. Think about peace. Think about guidance. Think about any possibility that the believer has access to. Jesus Christ is the framework. Jesus Christ is what made, is, is the one who makes it possible for you to have that experience, all right? And why is it important to be furnished with a truth, with a reality? It is important because God is a spirit. You know, John chapter 4 reveals to us that God is spirit. That singular sentence has several deep implications that um, time will not permit us to explore, but they are very crucial to our experience with God. The Bible says that God is a spirit. What that simply means is that, or one of the implications of that is that as human beings, it will be naturally impossible for us to, to, um, to contact God. It will be naturally impossible for us to engage God because God exists in a dimension that we are not, as human beings, we are alien to, all right? And because God is a spirit, for us to adequately engage God, we need to be furnished by a reality. We need to be quickened by a reality. And that is the reality that Jesus Christ provides. Because for you to speak to someone you don't see, someone you, you don't hear audibly, someone you can't um, you can't see the shape and form, you, there has to be a deep-seated spiritual awareness for you to engage such a personality. And that's important. And that's one of the reasons why um, Jesus Christ had to reveal himself as the truth. So that the times we need to engage the Father we are not doing so disjointly. We are not doing so um, absent-mindedly, or we are not doing so without a conviction. So Jesus Christ came and furnished the truth with us, furnished a reality with us, because God is a spirit. So that now that we're encountering God, I can close my eyes and pray. And even though I can't see God with my optic nerves, yet I can. I am so aware of God in this place. I am so so aware of the person I'm speaking to. Have you ever gone to a meeting and in the, maybe in the course of worship or in the course of the word or any other administration, you just felt the presence of God so much. The reason why you could feel and you could sense the presence of God is because Jesus is that reality. He makes He makes the truth of God real to you. He brings the, the person of God, the reality of God, though in a different dimension, he brings it close to your consciousness um, so that you can experience and encounter him. So Jesus Christ said he is the truth, all right? So the third dimension of, um, of, of contacting God is, is the life. Now, to explain this life, I need to give you an illustration, okay? Now, I, I, like I said um, just some minutes ago, is that, that God dwells in a dimension. You know, God is not far because he's distant. God is far because he's, another, he's in another dimension. What I mean is God is not far because... Uh, the distance from earth to heaven is so far that I need a rocket. It was like that. Then people that go to 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 moon to the moon would have would probably be closer to God outside earth. But that's not what makes God, um, you know, far. The reason why 
people say God is five is because he's, he exists in a separate dimension that is not that is alien to the dimension that we are conversant with, all right? That is foreign to the fiscal, um, to the fiscal dimension. So God is in another dimension. Now, for us to encounter God in another dimension, I said just some minutes ago that we need to be aware of Him, all right? We need to be furnished about His reality and personality. That's one. Now, secondly. For us to, now that we are aware, think about this. You, so we have entered the room. We now have a spiritual consciousness. That is the truth of the person in the room. Okay, now it's time for us to engage the person, to speak with the person, to share the person, to dialogue with the person, and, you know, to engage with that person. And that is where life comes in. Because it is humanly impossible for us to engage with God because he's in another dimension. The only way we can engage with God is if we have the life that that dimension supports. Okay? If we have the life that that dimension supports, then we can now speak to God in that dimension. Because, mind you, God doesn't, we are the ones that go to his dimension. He doesn't come to our dimension. Anyhow, we look at it. God, God. And this, that's one of the reasons why Jesus Christ had to come, so that we could be quickened into his dimension of life. And in that dimension, we can now engage, to, engage with God life to life. So God doesn't come to our dimension of death or our dimension of earth to speak with us. No, he, he quickens us into his dimension so that in his dimension, we can now engage, to, engage with him. But for us to be able to engage with him, we need to be empowered by life. Life is that spiritual... Um, virtue that gives us the enablement to engage with God, all right? So life is that spiritual virtue that gives us the enablement to engage with God. Life, the life of God, the life makes it possible for us to hear God and for us to speak to God and for us to receive the signals of God because if it was left to our own natural experience, we'll be expecting God to speak um, in ways that we are conversant with. We'll be expecting God to speak and ways that we are used to. So we'll probably be expecting a physical sound or we're expecting some physical signals or something. But when we are furnished and equipped with life, we are now aware that God could speak by a thought. God could speak by, uh, by a song. God could speak by an impression. God could speak by a sign or a symbol. God could speak by any way he decides to speak. It is the life of God that makes it possible for us to interpret the speakings of God and also to engage God, all right? So back to my illustration, about entering the room. Jesus Christ said, <clears throat> I am the way, the truth, and the life. So imagine someone coming to the room. The door is, gives access to that room. That is the way. Um, the truth is when the person comes to the, into the room, he's aware of the person or the, of the reality of the personality that is in that room. There's a spiritual awareness of what is contained in that room, okay? And then the life means that there is now an enablement to engage what is or who is contained in that room. And like just like I said, when we talk about the father here, we're not just talking alone about his personality, but everything that his personality has provided for us. So when we say, when we say that we have access, we have access to everything his personality provides, uh, we are full of the consciousness of what his personality provides. And then through life, through this enablement of Christ, we are able to engage in those, in those realities, okay? And just uh, one example is coming to mind. And I wrote it down here. Um, just for instance, imagine you have a dog. No matter how much you love a dog, let's assume you have one of those cute, you know, cute puppies and stuff that people keep. No matter how much you love that dog, right? The dog, the dog can you can't engage with the dog the same way you engage with a human being. So the dog cannot speak 
to you. The dog may be able to understand you to some extent, but his understanding is really, really short-lived compared to a human being's understanding, all right? So the reason why the dog cannot engage with you on the level that a human being can engage with you is because the dog doesn't have the life of the human being. It is the life that makes the dog able to engage with you. But somebody will come and say, hey, but no, it's because the dog has four legs, you know, I have a tail, but human beings don't have a tail, they don't have four legs. I'll say, okay, look at monkeys, look at chimpanzees, look at apes, for instance. Does that mean, oops, sorry. Does that mean that um, the chimpanzee or the ape or the monkey, even though he has a very similar physical build, built with a human being, does that mean that these animals can engage with humans on the same level? And the answer is an obvious no. So the physical structure does not guarantee the depth of engagement. And it is the same way also that an unbeliever, even though he looks like you and I physically, but an unbeliever does not have the enablement of life to engage with God. And that's what Jesus Christ says. He says, I'm the way, the truth. I am that enablement. I am that life. Praise God. All right, so we have to move quickly. Um, I just want to read, let me read this verse of scripture quickly. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. As, oh. as we wrap up this conversation about truth and way, truth and life. Ephesians chapter um, chapter 2, verse, verse 15. Sorry, chapter 2, verse 18. Now, talking about Jesus Christ, right? He says, for through him, that's, for, that's through Jesus Christ, we both have access. Remember I said Jesus Christ is that access. So through Jesus Christ, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So we have access through Jesus Christ by the help of the spirit to the Father, all right? And even though we are not talking about the Holy Spirit today, but it's just it's so difficult to talk about Jesus Christ without bringing in the Holy Spirit. Reason being that the work of the Holy Spirit primarily is to glorify Jesus. What that means is, is to make as, a, as an intimate experience, all that Jesus Christ has provided for us. So it's almost like saying um, there's the theory of it and then there's the practice of it. So Jesus Christ created the framework, did everything. You know, right now it sounds theoretical. The way we experience it is um, through the Holy Spirit. So yeah, I'm, I won't go into all of that explanation right now. But I just wanted to show us from this verse of scripture that Jesus Christ is the access just like we have been looking at. All right, so the last thing I, wanted, um, to, I want us to look at today is the last statement that Jesus Christ made about himself, where he said, I am, all right, let's look at it, John chapter 15, where he said, I am the true vine. John chapter 15, someone should please read from verse 1 to verse 6. John chapter 15, anyone there should please read for us. Um, if you have not read today, so I'm going to call someone. Um, Temitope, do you want to read for us, please? John chapter 15, verse 1 to 6, if you are there. Temitope, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Please hold on. All right, thank you. John chapter 15. So you said 16 or 15. Um, John chapter 15, verse 1 to 6. 1 to 6, right? Yes, 1 to 6. Just go on reading. Um, you may not see me in a second, but go on reading. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in beareth not fruit. It takes 
And every branch that he may bring forth more, more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word, word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in, in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast into the fire, and they are burned. All right, thank you. Thank you so much, Tim um, So Jesus Christ gave a very graphic illustration about our relationship with him and, um, and with the Father as well. And I want us to you know, break this down a bit and see what, what the implication of this statement means. So we've seen that, um, I mean, we've seen resurrection and the life, we've seen the way, truth, and the life, and this is the final one, right? So let's see the implication of this. First, Jesus Christ starts in verse one by saying, I am the true vine and my father, King James says, my father is the husband man. Um, other translations say, my father is the gardener or my father is the caretaker as, as the translation may, may supply. What this means, I mean, I, I, is quite explanatory. So let's just picture this in our hearts. There's a tree, okay? A tree has, well, the vine represents the trunk, represents the major part of the tree. Right, that big part of the tree. So let's picture a mango tree, for instance. The, the trunk of the mango tree is what is referred to as the vine. And then off those trunk, there are several branches. So branches are those little other things that come off of off the trunk. So Jesus Christ, first of all, started by saying, I am the vine and my father is the husband man. My father is the gardener. So let's look at that. Jesus Christ is the trunk of the tree. He's the main, main part of the tree, right? And the Bible says that my father is the gardener. What is the work of the gardener? The part of the, several functions of the gardener, but one of one major one of major responsibility of the gardener is to take care of the tree and also to supply the nutrients that the tree requires. Okay, to take care of the tree in every form. All right. Now let us keep to verse four. Verse four says, "Abide in me." So Joshua was speaking to his disciples that there's something I need you to know. And, the fact, and that's the fact that you need to abide in me. And he says, and I in you. He goes on and says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abides in the vine, no more can you bear fruit except you abide in me. Then he says in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, now let me explain verse 4 and 5 together. Joshua was saying to his disciples that, and to us, really, his disciples that, the same way a branch is attached to a, a, a to the trunk of the tree, it is the same way that you are connected to me. And it is in that same way that aside the connection of the branch to the vine, no matter how, how big a branch is, think about this, no matter how big a branch gets, it must be connected to the trunk. If a branch is not connected to the trunk, it falls away and it can never produce. So the productivity of the branch is, is hinged upon its connection to the trunk. And it is in, in that exact same way that Jesus Christ is saying to us today that he's the, he's the trunk and we are the branches. The extent to which we are effective in our, in our lives as Christians, the extent to which we are effective in our, in our experience on the earth is tied to us being connected to Christ Jesus, okay? He said here that... Um, 
as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, and we need to understand this. You know, when we when we when we grow up physically, one of the signs of maturity is independence. Okay, one of the signs that you know, one of the ways you know somebody is mature, right? As a, as an adult, is that the person gets independent. So the person makes decisions, can make decisions by himself. Um, the person can do things by himself without necessarily relying or waiting on others. And that is true in the natural realm. But in the realm of the spirit, you are not, your maturity is not measured by independence. Your maturity is measured by dependence. So the more you depend on God, the more mature you become. It's the same way that um, a branch can only grow mature um, the extent to which it depends on the on the, the extent to which it depends on on the trunk, all right? So I can see that my video is hanging, hanging but please just stay with me. So a, a branch can only bear fruit the extent to which it is dependent on the trunk. The day the branch says, you know what, I've been on this trunk for so long, I've, I believe I'm on my own. I mean, think about this, I've borne I've born so much fruit. Um, I have, I have, um, I mean, I'm so fruitful. I have a lot of leaves. In fact, people will come and stay under me. Just think about it. I am I'm very important so much that people, when, when the people are looking for shade, they come to stay under, under me, the branch. They don't come to stay under the trunk. They come to stay under me, the branch. So in fact, right now, I don't want to stay with the branch, with the trunk anymore. I am done with that. The, the moment the branch says that and says, okay, I am declaring independence from the trunk, that same moment, the branch begins to wither. Now, if the branch decides to leave the trunk, the process of withering doesn't usually happen instantly. So it will take some time, for instance, um, sorry, uh, my video is, I need to switch to this. All right, um, just stay with me. Okay, so stay with me on this video, right? So the, the moment the branch decides that I am going to be independent of the trunk, it will, it will not show immediately, meaning if somebody comes and looks at the branch, um, the branch will still have, the leaves will still be green. In fact, the fruits that were on the branch will still remain. However, in a matter of time, it will become obvious that the branch is disconnected from the trunk. And that is exactly how it is for us spiritually. Our maturity is not dependent on our, uh, our maturity is not dependent on our independence from God. You can never show that, oh, Lord, you know what? I can do it on my own. So don't just stay here. Let me go and do Let me show that I'm mature. Let me go and do it on my own. No, it doesn't work that way in the realm of the spirit. You must continually, continuously and constantly depend on God. And as you go higher in God, one of the things you notice is that you need to depend on God a lot more. One of the glaring revelations you come in contact with as you grow is that without Christ, you can do nothing. And this signifies the peak, one of the peaks of our spiritual maturity, that knowing in yourself that without Christ, I am nothing. Okay. It is from that perspective that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 15, verse 10, when he said, I am, I am who I am, um, I am what I am by the grace of God. He says, the grace of God upon my life was not without effect, even though I labor more than them all, yet not I, but the grace, but the, but the grace of God with me, within me. So that dependence, that knowledge of dependency um, we have in Christ is one of the utmost signs of maturity, all right? So verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, 
the same bears much fruits. For without me, you can do nothing. I, I, I can't overemphasize this, that you cannot do anything without Christ. And you must get to a point where you say, I cannot do my work without Christ. I cannot sing without Christ. I cannot go to work and be effective without Christ. I cannot um, read my Bible without Christ. I cannot. I can't do anything without without Christ. That is the that is um the one of the one of the crux of our maturity. Now I want to show us two things. Number one is that Jesus Christ always starts by saying, "If you abide in me and I in Him," meaning the first responsibility or the first yeah first responsibility is on our own path to abide in Christ, meaning the extent to which we are abiding in Christ is the extent to which God is committed to abide in us. What that means is that when we abide in Christ, and I'm going to explain what abiding means in a minute, <clears throat> but it says that what, what Joshua was saying is when you abide in Christ, right, he now commits himself to abiding in you. So the extent to which we give ourselves to staying in Christ is the extent to which Christ in turn reveals himself in us. All right. So it, if you see someone having a lot of manifestation and, and expression of Christ in him, don't feel jealous. Just let that be a note to you that you need to abide in Christ a lot more. OK. And then um, I want to now go. The last thing I want to say on this note is the key word here is abiding. And it's important we note this, that the key word here is abiding. Abiding con connotes a consistent, continual experience, meaning that, yes, we have come to Christ. Yes, we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. However, we now have the responsibility to stay there. And abiding um, could be, well, abide, abiding broadly speaks of two things. Number one, it speaks of our fellowship with Christ. And this is so important that, you know, just Christ said, um, if you abide in me, you bear much fruit. Meaning the more the extent to which we bear fruit is dependent on the extent to which we fellowship in Christ. Okay? The extent to which we bear fruit is the extent to which we fellowship in Christ. Abiding is not a is not that today I'm in Christ and then I'm just going to wait for the next one week before I look for my Bible and I try to mumble some words in prayer. That's not abiding. Abiding is a consistent, continual experience. So your fellowship with God should be consistent. Your fellowship with God does not have an end. It is a con you know, present continuous tense. Your fellowship with God is always and should always be in a present continuous tense. <clears throat> present continuous tense, okay? So fellowship with God is a key aspect of abiding. When you stay with God, you fellowship with him. Every Everything that fellowship represents, um, reading your Bible, fellow going to church, or fellowship with other believers, um, spending sufficient time in prayer, um, worshiping God, everything that and that sums up as, as fellowship with God, that is important and that represents abiding in Christ. And let me tell you this, if you look at someone who is fruitful right, in, in his life, it is tied to the fact that the person abides in Christ. If you see someone um, who abides in Christ, you tell that you can see that even in the place of work, he's, he's effective. In his business or her business, she's effective. Um, in 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 whatever ministering to people, he or she is effective. You cannot separate your spiritual life from from your other lives. Let me put it that way. Your what you do as a spiritual practice has a direct influence on has a direct influence on everything that you do. All right. So your spiritual life or your spiritual experience seeps into everything that you do, and this is so true. Um, for us, and I believe everyone has witnessed this as well. 
Okay, so that's one aspect of abiding. Second aspect of abiding is this. Abide in your identity in Christ Jesus. And time will fail me to go into explanation on this, but abiding who God says you are. One of the first things that, that the devil attacks when he comes at us is our identity. And we have a perfect example when, when just when the devil was tempted, when devil tempted Jesus Christ, the first thing he said was, if you are the son of God. So the first thing Jesus was questioning about Jesus Christ was his identity as the son of God. And that's, that pattern still remains till, up till now. That the, the enemy will always first and foremost come to attack your identity in Christ. So you must learn to abide in who you are in Christ Jesus. When things go wrong, the enemy will come to lie to you and say, look at you, you are a failure. Or look at you, you are a sinner. Look at you, you are, you are good for nothing. You must learn to abide in Christ. First, of course, you will repent. Of course, you make corrections where you need to. But never let any experience draw you away from your identity in Christ Jesus. Your, your security is in that identity. So you must learn to abide in it. So just like I said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. People that are doing big things for God and for the kingdom of God know who they are. First of all, generally as Christians, who we are. And secondly, specifically as who God has revealed you to, to be in the light of God's word. So your personal identity, your personal revelation of yourself in Christ Jesus. This is very important. So you must abide in your abide in Christ by fellowshipping with him. Secondly, you must abide in your identity um, with Christ Jesus. Praise God. All right. So we're, we're going to have to stop here. I, I can't, we can't move further than this. Um, but we're going to stop here. And I hope we've learned one or two things. I know that I was fast. I admit that. But um, we just had so much to cover in so short a time. So um, we're going to take questions and answers at this point. Anyone want to share, uh, want to ask a question um, or want to share something that you learned or make a contribution rather? Please, this is Bible study. Feel free to contribute. Feel free to ask questions. All right, the floor is open. Mm -hmm. Question, question, anyone? Um, you want to ask about the resurrection and the life? You want to ask about the way, truth, and the life? You want to ask about um, the true vine? Or you want to share what you learned or make a contribution to what has been shared? Please go ahead. We are all waiting. Okay, I can see Esther here says the keyword is truly abiding. Yep. The keyword is abiding. All right. Okay. Please, go ahead. More, um, more explanation. So you were saying that um, there are most times that we are the ones that have to be quickened to the level of God and to dimension which God is that God doesn't come to us. Yeah. Oh, Faith, are you? Either, I'm not sure I heard the last part of your question. Yes, yes, you completed it. Okay, so okay. let me explain. I, I figured someone would have a question on that. Um, and let me explain that since you, you asked. So what I mean is this. First of all, yes, God came to, to earth. God looked for us. God reached out to us. But when God reached out to us, his aim was not, for, was not to step down to our, to our dimension of sight and feeling and hearing. God did not 
come down to to limit himself to sight to what we feel, what we hear, what we see, to our physical senses, basically. Rather, when God reached out to us, what God did was that he took us into his dimension. I'm, I'm speaking um, hypothetically now. That God took us into his own realm. God took us into his own dimension. Our own realm is the realm of what we see, what we taste, what we hear, what we feel, um, what we smell. That is our own realm. But God doesn't dwell in that realm. And God did not, God did not migrate from his realm into our realm of senses. Rather, what happened is that God created a possibility for us to both exist in this, our physical realm of, of, of um, sight and touch, but also he created the possibility for us to migrate into his own spiritual realm of, 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 of higher experiences. So that is it. it is in that context that I said God did not step down to our dimension. Rather, he's, he steps us up into his dimension, and that is what life does. First, we encounter because God God doesn't God doesn't speak and we hear with our physical ears. God doesn't, and when the presence of God comes, it's not that we feel it or we smell it with our physical um, senses. What happens is that our spirit now perceives it. The, the only reason why it's possible for our spirit to perceive is because we have life. That life gives us the possibility of perceiving things. I hope you know that dogs can hear things that are higher than what we can hear as human beings. There's a frequency that dogs can hear at that we human beings cannot hear at. So just take that as an example. That frequency dogs can hear, but we don't have the life of a dog, so we may not be able to hear um, at that frequency. It is the same way also when God speaks. He speaks at a, at, a, at a certain frequency. So the life of God energizes us to that frequency so we can hear and interact with God. I hope that's clear enough. Thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions so we can go? Question? Okay, I'll go ahead, Dara. So I just want to, um, what tries the abiding identity in Christ, which yeah. is one kind of struggle with, too. sometimes we just need to go back to the world and encourage ourselves of who we are in Christ. And it's just amazing that this same tactic, just like you said um, about what um, the temptation of Jesus, it's actually yeah. the same thing that he used in the beginning because he actually attacked Eve's identity. If you actually look at it, he said, um, he, I mean, he said many things, but then he said, God knows your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God. Mm. And it's just because in the beginning, God actually said, let us make human beings in our image and to be like us. And of course, it was just, by the time I just thought about it, I was like, this is actually the same tactics that he still uses in these days that sometimes we doubt who we are and we just have to constantly look into the world and look at the person of Jesus to remind ourselves of mm. identity in him. Yeah, yeah. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Dara, for sharing. Thank you so much. All right, anyone else before we go? Um... Um, I was going to say, Ari, do you have a question? Cecil, Cecil, you haven't spoken. Cecil, you must say something. You haven't spoken since we started. You haven't even read the verse of scripture. So I am putting you on the spotlight today. Ask a question or share what you learned today. We are waiting for you, Cecil. <coughs> Hi, good evening. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Um, yeah, you, you packed a lot on us to, tonight. I've been writing since you started. Um, um, yeah, I was I was caught by the by this thing that you made 
when you said that the devil attacks our identity first. And she just spoke about it now. And when she was speaking, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Um, I just want to share on that. I don't really have any question. Um, I don't have any question. Um, just that and, um, and this statement you made that true maturity is not measured by independence, but by dependence. And that made perfect sense to me. And I wrote a bunch on that. So um, I noticed that whenever, whenever I had a bit of mess up in court, I started mm -hmm. to doubt my identity in Christ. Um, I started to doubt whether I deserve the love that God has for me, whether I am truly what I say I am in him and all of that. And this statement you just made, saying that that is how the devil attacks us, um, was really enlightening for me. And I wrote it down to be aware of this tactic. When the devil uses it against me, I need to be, I need to make sure my eyes, I'm vigilant. I know that this is just the devil trying to confuse me, trying to, trying to downplay my faith in God. And that's what I want to share. I know she just shared on it, but that's, that's what I have. That's what I have. And I'm paying. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cecil. Thanks for sharing with us. Um, all right. I'm, I'm not adding anything. This time is fast spent. But this, you know what I talked about? When we mess up and what we need to do, there's uh, uh, something I really i am looking forward to when I'll have the, the freedom to share with us, but it's very powerful. Knowing what to do when, as a Christian, you mess up, you make mistakes, you fall short, um, you maybe commit a sin, what to do at that point in time. Yeah, I, 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 that's something I look forward to sharing. But thank you so much for sharing with us. All right, we're going to end now. And I really want to say thank you to everyone for joining us. Um, I want, I've always wanted to do this. So if this is your first time joining Bible study, please, would you be kind enough to just tell us your name, possibly show us your face, and then um, tell us who invited you, that's all. Anyone here? Okay, I see. Temi Tope, I don't know if this is your first time, but I, I'm not sure. Do you want just say Second time. The second time. Okay. Yeah, Faith invited me. Oh, Faith, thank you for doing the good work. Um, do you want to show us your face, if that's okay? I think you know my face. I'll show my ah. face later, not that day. Okay. All right, all right. Thank you so much. So thanks everyone for joining us today. Oh, good, good um, announcement. I almost forgot this. So next week, we are going to start a very, a very interesting series. Um, I think I'm going to call it the Revival Series, but it's a series on prayer, and that will run for about three weeks. And from next week, all through the series, we're going to spend about 30, let's say 25, 30 minutes praying. Okay, so we're going to, Bible study is really going to be short, and we'll spend enough time praying. So we really want to revisit prayer and something that Holy Spirit has been, has been laying in my heart since last year. We need to begin to inculcate prayer into our Bible study. So we're going to have to share our time, you know, one, one way or the other, depending when we figure out how best to go about it. So next week, we're starting a new series on prayer. I think it's going to be called the Revival Series. If nothing changes before then, we'll stick to the name. But it's going to be really, really interesting. You're going to see that prayer is deeper than just praying in tongues or shouting loud. There are, there are dimensions prayer. So, so I'm personally excited about it because I've been looking forward to it. So please join us next week. Um, um, join us next week and invite someone. Yeah, I was going to say that. Invite someone. So thank you. God bless you abundantly. See you next week. Same time and...
same link. All right, good night. Good night, Victor. Thank you. You're welcome. Good night.